Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham, coming at you today nearly live from Nepean, Ontario. It is our 100th episode. It's, it's finally here. And who better to be here to celebrate the 100th episode than our most frequent and beloved guest, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Aaron Boyce. Welcome. Thank you, and thanks for traveling out to outside of the normal bubble well, of the well, city of Ottawa. For the 100th episode, we had a bigger budget. Oh, okay. So I could afford... You could afford the bus trip. To venture all the way out here. here. So oh, okay. before we start, let's... Uh, oh, yes. yes let's toast important. to 100 shows. 100 shows. There you go. There we it's go. Beauty. Cheers. Cheers. Now, we won't tell you what we're, we're drinking, but... We will say that it is uh, representative of how we feel our performance on the show truly is. So um, you can guess based on that if you want. <laughs> but that's, you know, we thought, you know, it should be representative of 100 episodes. I still can't believe you got to 100 episodes. Me neither. I placed the, the over-under at 10 and I took the under. Mm-hmm. So what most people don't know is that way back when... Five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah, so we started the show in 2012, in the spring of 2012. Again, I still can't believe it's been five years. Yeah, you thought it was like two or three. That, yeah, when you said it's, you know, 100th episode, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I remember doing this back in, what, 2013? Mm. Or, sorry, 2014 even, yeah. and didn't think 2012. Yeah, so it was 2012. I went to a conference in Guelph, ran into Ian Milligan, one of the founders of the site, and was an editor still at the time. He has since moved on to bigger and better things. But I ran into him at the conference, and I we were talking about radio mm-hmm. and where radio is. And podcasting wasn't new, but it wasn't as mainstream as it is now. Yeah. And I said, with the site, why don't you consider doing a podcast? And he said, essentially, well, you do it. <laughs> why don't you come up with something? And I put together a proposal, and my brilliant idea was... What if I talk to people? Because everyone wants to hear that. Everyone wants to hear me talk. Yeah. And uh, they said, sure, go ahead and record one. And uh, so here's what most people don't know is that we did a pilot episode yeah. and you were the guest on the pilot episode. Yeah. I remember when you asked me to do it and I, I, I wasn't sure at that point. I think you had really just introduced me to the awesomeness of podcasts because before then I just relied solely on music and then you said I want to record one I said uh sure I I don't know what to prepare I don't know what to think about what to say or anything like that I just I just thought yeah this sounds fun let's let's see what we can do yeah and so we went to the history department at the University of Ottawa in buildings that are no longer that's uh, right they've since been gutted and completely redone yeah they were falling apart when we were in there yeah and uh because i was teaching that semester so i think we had access to the classroom something uh, something like that and we went in and i didn't have the microphone no that's right Um, we had to record it through the uh, speaker (laughs) it was tinny as all get up it was terrible it was awful the only thing i really truly remember the only moment i really remember about it is we made a jack layton joke did we yeah because he had, they, they had just the ndp had just gotten oh they would have become the opposition the opposition and we made some sort of joke about nobody likes second place like except for jack layton uh that yeah. he, it's something aligned like a stupid joke yeah. Yeah, yeah about that and uh and we just we talked for 45 minutes about anti-americanism yeah i i, I definitely remember sitting in the room talking about it and all I could think about running through in my mind was, I am so unqualified to be talking about this. I should not be on as an expert. Please put quotes around the word expert when you hear that. Um, I just, just chatting. It was great. But I remember constantly looking at my notes and basically kind of giving you cues like, is this okay? Did I say anything stupid? And I remember afterwards recording it saying as well, I, like, I didn't say anything stupid, did I? Or you're, you're going to be able to edit something, right? Because I feel as though I might have said something really stupid. Yeah, and, and actually I did not edit it. No, that that's, show. yeah, that, uh, yeah the just, pilot didn't. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really, I, I did some minor edits because I was in our, the loft where we were, where we, we had the grad student room at U Ottawa yeah. with Shannon and uh, Shannon McGilvery. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to make some edits, some minor edits to it. And 
I, I played something for her. Like, it was a hard edit, and it sounded terrible. I said, what do you think? And she said, that sounds awful. Okay. Uh, and I thought, okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, so I did some minor editing, but then I sent it off to the guys at the site. They said, great, go for it. And then a few weeks later at CHA, when it was in Waterloo, that's when we recorded the first episode. Yeah, the actual pilot episode. Yeah. No, like the first, like, to air episode. Oh, sorry, that's yes, like, right. The, the pilot episode has not seen the light of day since. Yeah, I don't think it needs to. And uh, no, so it's it's one of now two lost episodes that there's we've recorded. Two? Yeah, there used to be three. We ran one of them. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, you a did. few weeks ago. Yeah. The fake history one we sat on for two and a half years or whatever it was. Yeah, I think we all forgot about that. Yeah, one. and then I just ran it without telling anybody. <laughs> Even though I'm pretty sure we all explicitly said, if you're going to run this, please let us know. I think I, I might have told you guys the night before. I don't even know if you did that. that. I was going to do it, but I, I edited out anything that was potentially compromising. Oh, yeah. No. So, and I don't think they're, in re-listening, it wasn't nearly as bad. In no, terms I, of I, offensive I, as we thought it was when we recorded it. Yeah, I think it. when we were recording it, we, I think we were under the impression that it wasn't going to air ever because it was just such a stupid idea and we're, we didn't take it seriously at all. Right. So we were a little more loose with, uh, with what we said, but. Yeah, I, I'm sure it wasn't right. as... And it was. And I mean, it was a stupid idea, but somehow it became relevant. Oh, yeah. Like, it, in this crazy world in which we live in 2017. Some of the best relevant. ideas, of course, come from you're sitting around and you're going, what, this is a really stupid idea, but yeah. it could work. And it, it goes from there, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, so it, the first episode we ever recorded was actually with Victoria Lamb-Drover, who I met when I was at the University of Regina. She was at the University of Saskatchewan, we met at a couple conferences and she came on to talk about participation. And so that was the first one we recorded. It wasn't the first one we ran. The first one we ran was with Ian Milligan because I felt he was the one who I worked with on getting the show out. I thought it'd be a good idea to have him as the first guest in part so he could explain active history on the show. Yeah, it's a good way to plug the We could work it out. And so that was the first episode and we didn't have the musical jingle in the first episode. Oh, that's right. When did the the jingle didn't come? How long? For the jingle the jingle came on either episode two or three. Okay. I can't remember. I I thought back to watching TV shows when they air the pilot. I can't think of many that have an opening theme. Mm. Like you think it just goes right to it. It says the name of the show and it kind of gets into it. And the pilot, of course, is a little bit rough. Uh, the actors maybe don't look like what they are eventually going to look like. And then by episodes, or even by episode two or episode one, that's not the pilot. They've got the, the opening theme and it's all good. But it always strikes me that they already have clips of the show that's going to be coming later and yet this is episode two but of right. course they, they filmed they it filmed it all yeah. well in advance um whereas that's something you didn't have the luxury to do because you record an episode and then a few days later or a week later or whatnot it goes up yeah so you don't have a chance to record anything and kind of have bits to to lead in and no and, and i gotta say the jingle i love the jingle i actively like i love the jingle we have for the show it's a, a piece of music called canadian capers and uh, yeah and i just like the way it's on the piano i just like the way it sounds i I really when i found it i was really excited because i think it some it it reflects something well it reflects the the mood of the podcast i think it's right it's it's light it's it's canadian it's um you know i think it's bouncy yeah it kind of gets you in the in the mood to listen to some fun. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously not every topic that you've addressed can be discussed or termed as fun, but no. the, the conversation that you, the conversations that you've had with people have always, you know, touched on lighter things or you can, you know, it's, it's a good listen. Right. We try and have fun regardless of the topic. Yeah. And, and that's the one thing, the first post that we did, the thing that I tried to really highlight in that post is that we were going to try and have fun with everything as much as, as much as we could. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. So I, I'm pleased with how it's turned out. But to think back to some of those early episodes, like, and and any any failing of the show was always a, a failing that, of, on my part. It was always bad for something that I did wrong. Like I think of the Craig Heron when Craig Heron came on the show. He and I recorded at the University of Toronto. They were nice enough to give me a room, like a meeting room, yeah. for the afternoon one day. And I think I had three people come in that day to do shows and Craig Heron was one of them and he was 
I, I didn't tell him to sit close enough to the microphone. <laughs> like, I just didn't set up the room right. And so that episode, I like that episode in terms of content, but it doesn't sound really great because I didn't have it set up properly. And it's those sorts of things that you just learn more of. And the show, sound quality, I think we're still working with it, trying to get it better in terms of volume levels and where to put the microphone and yeah. do we get a second microphone, these sorts of things. But I think overall, I'm, I'm generally pleased with how it's gone. Well, I think as well is that if, if by, say, episode 100 like this, you were still having that tinny sound like from the pilot or... Right. You didn't get the microphone and that you were still having to record it through the laptop. Those would be issues that I think would have killed it. The yeah. show wouldn't have survived no. because as we're both podcast listeners and we both know that if, if the sound quality is really bad, it mm -hmm. becomes, you know, unlistenable. Yeah. You just, you can't enjoy it for, for what it is. So... I mean, incremental steps. You're gonna. It's gonna keep getting better and better. I mean, it's never gonna be good enough until you get rid of your producer and you know <laughs> hire someone who is a little more competent. But once you get there, I th I mean, sky's the limit. Uh, 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 yeah, the producer really is a, just a chucklehead. Yes. Um, fortunately, we don't pay him. So well, it's, it's probably why he's a chucklehead. <laughs> so it's been five years. It's been a, a lot has changed. Not just in terms of like your personal life i mean in the, <laughs> in the five years you've gotten married yeah and have a baby yeah right so you went from bachelor aaron boys in the pilot episode of this yeah to married father yeah that's a pretty big change it's a lot has happened uh, in five years over the five years but in terms of the show I, I'm, I'm curious like in, in terms of the experience for you having done this do you notice now when you come on the show is there anything different in your approach to it I guess, if anything, it's you can over-prepare. And, of course, that's funny for you and I because we laugh all the time about how ill-prepared we feel that we are. <laughs> and, um, Megan will be the first to tell our listeners that we don't prepare at all. And um, But I think part of it is just, yeah, having a few notes about what it is that you want to say. But having a script is probably the worst thing you can do. And yeah. I feel as though that's what I I was going with with the anti-Americanism. I, I don't really remember, but I feel as though I had pages upon pages of notes. I think I had speaking points. I think I had things that I had to say. Um, and I was very careful making sure that every word I said was perfect. Whereas after listening to a bunch of podcasts now, uh, especially ones that are conversational like this, it has to be organic. You just mm. you just have to sit and chat. I mean, it it really feels like when we're hanging out otherwise, and oh yeah, yeah, we're chatting about sports or we're chatting about whatever. Um, for this, we just added a historical topic or mm. something that we're going to talk about. So I think if anyone coming on or anyone that wants to do a podcast or is interested in that, I, I think that, that that's the big thing I would I'll come back to is that just it's got to be natural. It's got to be organic. Just let the conversation dictate where it's going to go. Uh, and if you over-prepare, you're going to feel like you've said something stupid or that you, you've omitted something. Right, yeah. When it's conversational, people don't really feel the need to like stick to a script or talking no. about it. Okay, so now all right, now let's stop being too uh, self-congratulatory. Yes, that's uh, all right. Because that, that's enough of that. Um, <laughs> so one thing that is different from five years ago is you and I were both grad students then. Yep. Neither of us are grad students now. We're not. We're both kind of employed. Yeah. Well, okay. I think me more so than you, but yes. Right. Yeah. We're both contract. Well, I go to work Monday to Friday. I work. I get weekends I, off. I just don't go anywhere. <laughs> I, I, I work. I mean, I not fair. Um, we are both employed in the world. Yes. Uh, we've both had our issues with the job market yep let's say yep so what's interesting so the people who are academics who may be listening to this know how bad the history job market is yes but they do yeah. anybody who's generally interested in it I, I don't think certainly my parents and their friends don't really recognize or, or know just how bad the market well my parents at this point probably know how bad the my parents job, as well do now job market is but you know it's not something that is, is readily apparent and we're in a well, we're not in the city. We're adjacent to the city where there is a really big market for history. Yeah. And even in this location, it's a bad job market. Yeah. Um, 
I'm one of the lucky ones who was able to use my degree. I got out of academia. I realized that uh, it just it wasn't for me for whatever reason. Just it it wasn't the right uh, choice for me. But I'm able to be in a job where I can use all my skills and my training that I developed as a grad student in a professional setting. So mm-hmm. at least. I know there's a lot of us out there who are feeling really jaded and a little set adrift in this world. Like, what do we do now? We're, we have all these skills. We've got these specialized skills, especially, but how do we use them? So uh, I do consider myself lucky that I'm able to use these skills. Now, I'm not always using, I'm not always reading history or I'm not always studying history, but history, thankfully, is one of those disciplines that at least has wide ranging skills. And we spoke about this over dinner before, uh, before we recorded this, that there's a lot of more transferable skills, thankfully, within a discipline like history. True. Yeah. And we have to do a better job, I think, as a discipline, marketing that to people and telling them that it's not just with the content of knowing what happened in the past. And that's valuable. There's value in that. <laughs> but in terms of the practical skills that high school students coming into universities and certainly their parents <laughs> are looking for, we have to do a better job of explaining that we do actually offer practical, useful skills that you can take into the job market with you. And this is something we talked about in the last episode with Joe McCutcheon and real Sean Graham uh, about how we can incorporate these things into classes. But for you, have you noticed, I mean, five years ago, we were both grad students in the Mm -hmm. midst of academia. You have since left academia, but you're still involved in the historical discipline. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed any major changes within the historical discipline over the last five years, either positive or negative? I think it's tough right now for me to provide a definitive answer only because I still feel that I'm only recently removed from the discipline, for lack of a better term. Uh, but, I still, but your job is history. Like you're researching. You're, even if you're not in academia, you're still part of the discipline. True. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there's days when part of my job and I'm sent to Library and Archives Canada and I feel as though I, it, it basically makes me feel like I'm a grad student again, uh, especially when I walk into the microfilm room and I feel my soul trying to escape <laughs> because it's just such a dreary it, room. It's a sad room to walk And into. whomever really has is. ever worked in the microfilm room on the third floor of Library and Archives Canada, I'm sure you're nodding at the moment that it's not <laughs> the most ideal place in the world to work. Especially um, when it's like 20 degrees outside and bright and uh, sunny and you walk in there and yeah. all energy just gets zapped And the day just somehow disappears. You've all of a sudden spent eight hours there and you've left your chair three times yeah. and you don't know where you did or where your day went and what you did with your life to... <laughs> end up there um, but when I work at LAC uh, it takes me back to being a grad student especially when I'm handling the the archival material it takes me back to being a historian I feel like a historian again right. um, I know it sounds really strange because I am a historian because that's my training but I actually feel like I'm, I'm a historian again it's like I, I'm handling the documents and I'm doing file review and I'm writing brief reports about these kind of things uh, it really takes me back to my grad school days uh, but thankfully, of course, at the end of the day, unlike a grad student, I'm able to come home, spend time with my wife and daughter, and after 7 o'clock when Ellie goes to bed, relax. I don't have that nagging guilt of, mm. oh, I should probably be reading this, or, you know, that dissertation's not going to get done unless I go and do it. So, uh, But, I mean, as far as changes, I feel as though, for me, I guess I've just, I've got better at working on certain things. Uh, I trust myself a little bit more with my writing. Um, I'm, I'm terrified to pick up my dissertation and read it because I'm afraid that I'm <laughs> going to find mistakes, even though I can't remember who said it to me, but it was the best line, I think, of the dissertation or of submitting the dissertation. It's the best way to be able to find errors is to click the submit button. Sure. As soon yeah. as you submit it, errors pop up all over the place okay so you got I, I don't have a bound copy of it i ordered those why <laughs> i mean not to be like flipping no 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 my uh my family all wanted a bound copy and ah. my father-in-law as a graduation gift paid for megan and i to have a copy okay because i was i wasn't going to get one and i told him that i wasn't going to get one and he uh he insisted that I have one. It was, he, as he put it, it's a big accomplishment. It's, mm. you know, you put a lot of work into this. You should have something, you know, at least a token. 
of everything you did. Right. But then, of course, I look at it every so often. And I think there's five years of of my life in right in, there in a in like a, a form three pound thing. Yeah, this yeah. is great. So okay, so I'm I'm looking through the acknowledgments here, um, and I have to say, uh, on behalf of uh, myself, Doctor Sean Graham. <laughs> Uh, Patrick Fournier, Jeremy Garrett, and Michael Thompson, I would like to take issue at our placement in the acknowledgments that we come after Madeline Klosky, Katie Semancic, Andrew Gallero, Muhammad Amin, Dan Pellerin, Carolyn Demore, Alexander Sawyer, Denny Lamara, and the many others. And then we come after them. Yeah, because I don't really like you. <laughs> However, if you notice that no one else gets a doctor. Well, because at the time, none of them were. Mike was. Was he? Michael Thompson was a doctor. We did graduate at the same time. It's true. You did. Interesting. Interesting. Um, <laughs> you were the only one that got a special notice as a doctor. It's because I'm a jerk. <laughs> uh, it's more so my own little jab at you. <laughs> I, do, I, I, I think that's fair. I think I, pre- I appreciate that. Um, so, the, so the other thing in terms of like the last five years, the thing yeah. I've really noticed, and, and part of this is because a few weeks ago I had to do a, a government test. And the question was, how has the discipline changed over the past five years? Oh, really? It was very convenient for the purposes of this oh, yeah. conversation. But it was more in terms of the, the writing and what people are writing about. And there's, so they asked for three different areas and, and books that represent the, those areas. And the thing that I think has really exploded is the digital stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when I was an undergrad, no one had a laptop in the room. No. Right? And, and that's 15 years ago. Yeah. And now the digital tools are essential. Like yeah. When I was an undergrad, we didn't have anything like virtual campus or Blackboard or anything like that. Those things didn't exist. And the what, what's remarkable to me is how rapidly that has changed. Oh, it's, right? it's crazy. Like I, w- I would write papers, even as a master's student, I would have notebooks for each class. Yeah. And I would go to the library and I would take notes by hand. And then I, when I write, wrote the paper, I would go through the notebook and sort of piece it together from that. Mm-hmm. The dissertation, I didn't write anything down by hand. No. Right? I, like, I, it was all in, in the computer. And yeah. what that allows, I think, it, it allows us to process more data, larger sets of, mm-hmm. of information. And I think it's made the discipline a lot broader yeah. in what we can study, just in terms of the feasibility oh, of what we can do. It's become way more accessible. Uh, when you were saying that, I remember my first year at Trent, uh, in 2004 and if I wanted to do any research whatsoever about uh, a topic that I was writing a history paper about I had to go to the library yeah. now I enjoyed going to Trent's library where it was sitting o- overlooking the autonomy river so I kind of got a nice little spot and uh, I think part of it as well was that mindset I'm like I'm in university now you know I'm in, I'm in the library that's where I need to be um, but by f- fourth year more articles were available online but the difference with that, of course, is that you had to sign into the library. You had to sign in through this, sign in through this. And even then, so only some of them were, were available. By my PhD, everything was online. I didn't right. have to leave the house. I could go a week without leaving the house to do research. Right, and, which is, is great, but also kind of dangerous. Oh, it, it, it right? is, like, absolutely. But it's just I, I thought about that, and uh, a large part of my dissertation re- relied on historical newspapers. Mm-hmm. So many historical newspapers have been digitized. Yeah. Especially for my research uh, of American newspapers. Some of them were available on microfilm at library and archives. Most of them weren't. Right. But they were digitized through, through, through the Library of Congress. I could access newspapers that I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. That they were just, they were right there. Yeah, and yeah, and you wouldn't be able to do that like even five years ago. No. Like just the, the availability of what's been digitizing what's access to it. it's just amazing and that doesn't even speak to the dissemination of it no which is so much easier and it also takes me or i'm also thinking about all the information that is available for free mm. now as university students we're lucky that part of our tuition goes to accessing these many databases yeah. of academic journals and maps and data and all and all that kind of stuff but with a lot of the free websites that are associated with either a museum or an institution or a university, so much is available for free. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the uh, Canadian Institute for Historical Micro uh, Reproductions, so many of those are available online. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, you have to go to the library, find the microfiche, go to a reader, 
hope that the reader was working (laughs) and that the quality was okay. But now you go to archive.org, you type in your, the title or you type in a keyword or you type in an author and hundreds pop up and they've been digitized by universities and they're available for free because the copyright, of course, I now a lot of my research was 19th century. So the copyright had expired, but even so copyright holders are like, no, I, I want that information out there. It's yeah. like, it's not that I want to hoard this information. It's I want people to actually access it. So here you go. Right. And that's sort of the whole point, right? It's like get into it and yeah. deal with the information. And that's what allows us, I think, to expand what we study because mm-hmm. you're not bound as much by geography as we used to be. Like when I was in Regina, like I could only spend, I think I spent four days in LAC for my thesis. Mm-hmm. Now I would have more access to things yeah uh and, and it's just it's it's really cool to think about it in that that way well it's as in you could be a caribbean scholar living in ottawa right and still be able to do a good job yeah because information is available or you could be studying southeast asia in the 15th century mm. and there's things available for you and yeah. the, in that regard the discipline has changed for the better greatly yeah and i mean we obviously don't want to overstate it because there's still a long way to go in the process, oh, there's no but doubt. you know it's come a long way too, and yeah. and there's a lot of opportunities now in terms of subject matter. The the one thing that I think the discipline has gotten better at, and it could just be associated with public awareness and public conversations about this, is issues associated with reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of movement yep. in that direction. I think that's been a major shift. Mm-hmm in what we do and the the recognition that reconciliation goes beyond just what we would use to consider core aboriginal issues mm-hmm. that it's a larger societal issue yeah. that we can deal with i think that's one and i also think the rise of environmental history oh yeah is and, and that's not to say that environmental history didn't exist before because but because of course it did mm-hmm. but i think it's become a, a bigger subset of the historical discipline in general, I think it's being incorporated more into survey classes and these sorts of yeah. things in ways that it wasn't in the in 10 years ago. Well, it, it, as you said, it's accessibility and dissemination. And ActiveHistory.ca is a prime example of that. That five years ago, of course, when the site was just created, the articles and the reviews and such were smaller in scope. Now, mm. however, many years later, there's so many papers on there about so many different topics. Yeah. And... It's no longer a, if you're an environmental historian, you feel like you're pigeonholed into finding sites that cater only to environmental history. You can be interested in reading about environmental history, but then on the same website, of course, find information about the First World War and then find information about what a city was like in the 1970s Mm. because the information is there because historians are able to present their work. Mm. And there's mediums such as activehistory.ca and this podcast where people get to share their research. Mm. And so it's it, we're able to get it out there more. Yeah, and, and there's an audience for it. And I will say that the, the majority of hits the site gets on a daily basis are from Google searches. If you, if you Google something that is a historical topic, and I mean, we skew heavily towards Canada. So if you Google something related to Canadian history, there's a good chance on the front page of Google there is an active history article. Mm-hmm about it so uh, you know again not <laughs> so self-congratulatory uh look how great we are um i mean we can't be that great i work for them so <laughs> that is very uh, true let's be let's be honest and uh but yeah i mean it, it's sort of and it just leads to, to more stuff and and if i took history in high school in 2017 with the tools available and the way it's done now i like to think that i would have liked it I hated history in high school. Oh, see, I loved it. I hated it. I, like memorizing dates and names and writing those down on a test. That's, see, I that's was, terrible. I was good at that, so I think that's why I enjoyed right. it. It's just it's boring. Yeah, and I never, I never enjoyed it. So, well, it's it's all about being able to put the larger picture together. Uh, yeah, a very quick anecdote. I'll never forget uh, when I was in grade nine. In grade nine, history in Ontario. Uh, you learn about the United Empire Loyalists. You learn about the the lead up to the American Revolution, but from the perspective of British North America. And then in grade 10, I took American history. And then you realize that's a bit of a misnomer until 1776. And then when my history teacher was talking about the Quebec Act, I'm like, I know that. 
but why do I care about that <laughs> yeah. in American history? Like that that's something I learned in Canadian history. And as silly as it sounds, is oh, the Quebec Act helped push towards this revolution, mm. which then led to this. And then I started to see the bigger picture. Yeah. And I think that's what what you say when it goes back to to explaining content. It's when you are able to present a bigger picture, I think you're able to appreciate it a little bit more. At least that's how I feel about it. No, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I started teaching history 101 or 1101 as it is at the University of Ottawa the other day. And I start that uh, any sort of general survey with 20 minutes on what is history. And to me, it's all about, you know, that so what question and, and making these connections and the broader things. It's yeah. not just memorizing dates and names. No, I, I remember when I was fortunate enough to teach uh, U.S. history in 1945 to the present, I framed it as a, my introductory lecture was, now of course it's changed in the world of 2017, but in 2013 and 2015 when I taught it, I mentioned, or I started with, how did you get a society that was inherently racist and you know divided to the core how did that change so that a black man could be elected president right what happened in the 40 plus years that enabled that to happen Mm. and i thought that was a good way for myself to help to understand it but also to try to show my students Mm. history matters in the sense that 1945, I could spew out a million dates and facts and everything like that, and who cares? But when you see in 45, so all of a sudden Barack Obama's president, well, something clearly changed. Yeah, in a short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, relatively speaking. Yes. Right? And, and yeah, so that class, from all accounts, was good. Would have been better if you had a good TA. That is true as well. Um, he but, was the worst. I'm pretty know. sure he knows the producer quite well. Yeah. And anyone who's friends with that guy. Just write them off. So the big question then, All right. as we sit here in 2017, mm-hmm. knowing what you know now yeah. about the field, about discipline, about where it's brought you, yep. would you choose to do another PhD in history? <sighs> I think the easy answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my natural reaction uh, with... My wife sitting with an earshot. Oh, we're going to get her opinion in a is, minute. Don't is, worry. It's got to be no because the amount of effort and stress and sacrifice that went into creating it at the time did not seem worth it. And even a year removed, I have my moments where I say that wasn't worth it. And it was extremely frustrating and I would never wish that upon my worst enemy. But the skills that I developed and the knowledge I gained. I I loved my comps besides the exam. I loved the reading part about it. I loved learning and I still do that today. Uh, my bookshelf as we're sitting here in my living room is filled with historical books that have nothing to do with my topic that I mm. studied. I just enjoy reading history. And so I would say yes if you have a passion for it because if you have a passion for a specific topic or uh studying the past then absolutely go for it and that does take into account the current job market because it's not good right now and there's historians all over the country that are struggling to try to find a job but our skills are so diverse that i don't feel like like it was a waste Hmm. well that's good that's a very diplomatic answer that doesn't really answer the question no i think that's a fine (laughs) i think that's a fine answer um I, I, and I think there's value in doing it. I mean, Hung Tai, who I was in China with last year, he's a sociology professor from Pomona College in California. He always said he felt bad about students who would want to do PhDs, and he would counsel some of them to say, like, I don't know if you should do this. And he would he had he sort of expressed a bit of a moral conflict, but because the job market is so bad in sociology as well as in history that he would be sending people off to an uncertain future, and that he, he, he sort of felt bad about that to a degree. And I would say to him that I, now, this is after having been at Harvard and having to get the opportunity to go to you China. Did, I'm surprised and, it took this long to and mention be, Harvard. And have these, have these opportunities that were not only profitable academically, but they were also profitable economically for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, that that's part of this. But yeah. I, I said... You know, I enjoyed the process for the process, and I didn't 
for me, going into the process of the PhD wasn't about the end game. It was just about the process. Okay. Yeah. And doing that, and he pointed out that you're approaching this from a very privileged spot, that you can say this with the retrospect of knowing where you are now. Yeah. And also during the time, my I was never financially in, you know, I mean, I, I had financial issues where I had to sort out of course. money. But I was not, certainly wasn't as pressed as a lot of other people. I was very fortunate in the scholarships and other things that I was able to, to, to find. So all of these sorts of things play into it. But for me, it was the, the process, and I love the process of getting the, the doctorate because I just like going, finding out information, trying to piece it all together, and trying to weave a, the story through the available information. So Now, as you were saying that, something jumped into my mind. How many years ago was it when... You, myself, uh, Pat, Jeremy, Mike, and I believe Andrew was there, were sitting out in my backyard and we were talking about, and you asked the, us, what's the percentage yeah. that you finish this thing? Yep. And I believe all of us, our answer was 100%. Mm-hmm. There's no way that we're not finishing it. And we got into a long discussion about it, especially when you said it's about 50-50. Yeah. And, and not we, even I wasn't even saying it in like the jackass way that I normally say fifty fifty. No, as in like you were um, you were sincere about that. And yeah. I remember Pat and I especially were completely taken aback by this. Like, what do you mean fifty fifty? I mean, you've already put this much into it, you gotta finish it. I remember you telling us, like, well, you know, if I finish it, great. If I don't, well then there was something else that happened that I wasn't either able to do it or I decided I didn't want to do it. And and then I remember we were chatting a, a couple years after that. I remember saying I realized my number is not a hundred percent anymore. Hmm. And I mean, it dropped. can't be. No, it, it really it can't be. And I, I I tell this to people all the time that if you start a PhD and you don't finish, okay. Yeah. Like, so what? Oh, I know. Like, I, it's I, not a big deal. Like, it really isn't a big deal. And my no. ego, for as big as my ego really is, it's not so fragile that not finishing would have crushed me in any way. Yeah. And, and I'm realistic enough, I think realistic enough to recognize that any sort of life circumstances can happen that would do it. Or, you know, I'm also someone who would just say, I'm just not interested anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to not do this. And, yeah. I, then I, and I would have felt okay walking away. The thing that stuns me or stunned me was that you all said 100%. Yeah. And that you left no leeway no. for any, like even getting hit by a bus. Yeah. Like drop it to ninety nine point nine, you might get hit by, yeah. <laughs> right, hit by a bus. Yeah. But the sort of hundred percentness was surprising to me, especially given the numbers, right? That how how like the number of PhDs that are abandoned. Mm-hmm. Now I will say though, out of the group of us who are sitting out there, the only one who doesn't currently have a doctorate is Jeremy, and that's because at the time he was just starting. Yeah. And that was like three years ago. So. Yeah. Uh, he shouldn't be done yet, so he's not. No, and, but, but he's, he's, he's very still close to he's me. still pursuing it. Yeah. So I, I'm surprised that we all look like we will have one. And well, frankly, I'm surprised that let's say Jeremy decides tomorrow he doesn't want to. Yeah. And I'd be surprised. That, I, I'm still surprised that the number of us have. Yeah. One, I was, I was, right? I, as you were saying that, I was thinking the same thing. It's like statistically speaking, we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. One of us at least should have decided. I don't want to do this anymore or funding dried up, couldn't do it or a life circumstance happened where had to move away and just couldn't do it anymore. But mm-hmm. the fact that we we're all able to finish is in itself somewhat remarkable, mm-hmm. especially when you consider when you get the six of us in a room and how stupid we're dumb. We can we're be dumb. and how we're not smart people. inane the conversation yeah. can, can yeah. be. But, but it's, I, I liken it to athletes, the baseball player goes up to the plate and he thinks he's going to get a hit. The the team that's down 3-0 in the playoffs thinks they're going to come back and win the series. Yeah. You know, you want to have that mindset that you're going to be successful no matter what and yeah. you know, in, in that retro in, in that way of thinking, my approach is completely wrong. <laughs> and and you guys had the right approach to thinking I'm going to do this. I'm absolutely going to do this. There is no doubt in my mind that I'm going to do this. I think that's actually the right approach to have. Yeah, but but statistically speaking, it's it's wrong. But so yeah. what? But the but the baseball player who goes up is going to get out. Yeah, more times sixty five percent of the time. Yeah. The great ones are going to get out sixty five percent of the time. Yeah, but he goes up there saying, "I'm going to get it." Like so. Yeah. So all that being said, 
you'll still come on the show. Of course. In, in the hundreds. Absolutely. Okay. All right, now I do want to invite our most frequent commenter on the show. I mean, I can't believe it's taken a hundred episodes. Yeah, this is the, the second or third one we recorded in your house. First time she is agreeing to be on the show. Albeit begrudgingly and more so because we forced her. I'm very excited. So Megan Riley boys, welcome to the History Slam podcast. Okay. <laughs> now, before we get into my question for you, I want to run through all the different nicknames you've had <laughs> on, the, on the show. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever actually been referred to you by my actual name. This is the first time that we haven't referred to you by anything other than... I'm pretty you know. sure last week I gave credit for, I think I said Megan, I think I clarified it. I think. Yeah. I might have to go back and re-listen, but I, I'm pretty sure I did. I think so, yeah. So, so you started as... The other you, member of my house. The other member of your house. Because you guys were living together right. when we started the show. Yeah. And then it was the woman to whom you will soon be related by marriage. Right. And then I changed it to uh, your ex-girlfriend. Ex yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it was the woman to whom you are related by marriage. Right. Uh, and then I think at one point I even threw in... The woman to whom you used to be engaged. <laughs> that uh, and ex-fiance. Ex-fiance was another one. Yeah, they'll yeah. go hand in hand. Right. So, but now you're on the show. So those are dead. The, the nicknames are all dead because you're on the show. Oh, so I actually get my real name. This all the time. When I get referred to. In the future, now. yeah. So those are all gone. So I actually can stop listening to these podcasts because the only reason I listened to them was to see like how you guys referred to me and if I needed to smack either of you afterwards. Totally fair. So, so now I'm safe. I can just, okay. Yeah, so, okay, so I, our listenership just dropped, like, 75%. Like, no, I'm kidding. I'll, um, I'll still listen. So, so for you, uh, now, you're not a historian by training. You at, did at soci You did sociology. Psychology. Psy psychology. They're all the same. Uh, oh, snap. Um, <laughs> Don't get me started. And, and now you work at the Heart Institute. Yes. So you're removed from the history, history world. With the exception of having to listen to him talk about it. Yes. <laughs> now, now for you, I, I, would you want... Now, we, we joked earlier that you're not going to let your daughter get a PhD <laughs> in history. Yeah. But what, what are your thoughts just generally having gone through the process mm -hmm. sort like, of by proxy almost? Right. What, what's your thoughts on sort of the, the state of history? Um, I guess like my general philosophy in life is you're going to regret not doing something more than you're going to regret doing something. So when he was like hemming and hawing, he just finished his master's. We just started dating. <laughs> and he was like, what should I do? Like, should I get my PhD? Should I not get my PhD? And I was encouraging of him, first of all, doing what he wanted to do. But I, I posed it to him that way. Like, are you going to regret it? if you don't do it are you going mm. to look back and say i should have done it so i think having experienced the whole process maybe now me would have like whispered in then me's ear like really though should you should you be <laughs> encouraging this um but um but no i think at the end of the day i think it's amazing that he got it and mm. i think that it was an incredibly difficult process and that he should be really proud that he accomplished it and that even even if you graduate and the job market isn't great which is absolutely the case right now you should still be super super proud of your accomplishment mm -hmm. and you know just hope that one day it will pay off and I, and I truly think it will I think one day it will pay off that someone will recognize the amount of work and um, the work ethic and the dedication that's involved in getting a PhD and they'll appreciate that and they'll offer a, a position or a job that he'll be really happy to be in so and through the process do you feel as though you learned more history than you would have otherwise i know what his dissertation <laughs> was about. <laughs> about because and the only reason is because people would ask me they'd be like oh so what what is Aaron's study you'd be like oh crap i should probably actually know the you gotta learn a little bit question. to answer that question yeah um yeah because history i'm one of those people like i can't i don't do I can't remember dates, places, things like that. I'm more like an abstract thinker. So for me, history was always just way over my head. And 
I think my boredom with history was because of the fact that I just, I couldn't fully grasp it and I was never really good at it. And I, <laughs> I think people are tend to be like, you know, more into things they're good at than things that they're, you know, terrible yeah. at. So I don't think I would say I know much more about history than I did before, other than the annexation movement. That would be the sure. only thing right. I probably know a little bit more about. Right, so you could come in and give a nice thorough lecture and... Yeah. Inform all the people what's what's going on with the movement. No, no. Have you read? Have you read it? Have you? I'm holding it in my hand. Have uh, you read it? No. And and, and <laughs> I was very honest with him when I told him I probably never would. Okay. Um. Even even my my mom and dad who said that they they're really interested in reading it. They they're not going to. No. No, I feel like the the what I already know about it is probably what I would take from it. Right. So okay. what so what's the point of me reading something right. that where I already probably know as much as I would take away? Well, Megan, I'm so happy that we finally got you on the show mm-hmm. five years later. Uh-huh. That you you've agreed to do this. So mm-hmm. thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh Man Myth Legend, always a pleasure. It's always great to be here. Now before we go, uh, I would like to play something. This is, again, this has been kind of a self-indulgent episode. but something no. that, I know. <laughs> uh, but something that is maybe even a little more self-indulgent, I've gone through and I've put together all of my favorite moments from the past five years of the show with the theme song as a little sort of compilation of some of the, the things that I've enjoyed from the show. So we're going to play that now. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham. We're coming at you today nearly live from St. Catharines, Ontario. Waterloo, Ontario. Ottawa, Ontario. Manchester, New Hampshire. Toronto, Ontario. North Bay, Ontario. Pian, Ontario. Washington, D.C. Victoria, British Columbia. Somewhere between Jasper and Edmonton. We are somewhere in between Winnipeg and Saskatoon. St. Mary's, Ontario. Vancouver, British Columbia, Brantford, Ontario, Georgetown, Ontario, Montreal, Gatineau, Quebec, all the way from London, England, from Regina, New Orleans, Louisiana, Dallas, Texas, Boston, Massachusetts, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Philadelphia, Las Vegas, Nevada, Beijing, China. That's how the book starts, and that hit me in the face. I was like, whoa, all right. Like, to me, that's a great hook. Like, in part because I did not know that this happened. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first question I have is, why didn't I not know that this happened? Why isn't this a more celebrated thing nationally? Short of asking how you prepared for your comprehensive exam. (laughs) I'm not even going to put him in a glowing light because a lot of his policies I'm totally against. This is being voted on. Maybe you should try and put him in a glowing light. (laughs) Good point. But do your best. (laughs) And and I dreamt all of a sudden I was living in, in, in this massive party scene with all of these basically old dead white guys for the most part i mean gandhi makes an appearance in the song yes so um, yeah so the list is uh we have jesus yeah he's hanging out with dionysus yeah judas and apollo yeah they're they're arguing about what the meaning of life is yeah you got nietzsche and jean-jacques rousseau yeah uh, hanging out together marx Karl marx yeah jumping on a trampoline yeah in the backyard bob dylan uh woody guthrie yeah are both there, and then Gandhi is uh, passing out drinks, right, and passes out, right, because he was fasting. Yeah, and <laughs> so I, I do have a memory. Like I don't know if it is real, but I have a memory of of, of Gandhi being drunk because, <laughs> and he wouldn't listen to anybody. You know, when your friends you're at a party and you're having, you're like, no, you should, you're okay. You don't need to have another beer. When someone right. tells you that, generally it's a good sign not to have one. Yeah. And then there's always one guy at a party who's going to be like, no, I can't have one. Yeah, exactly. That's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Yeah, that's an interesting question. That's a great question. Well, that is a great question. So I was able to go through and just spend all summer in the archives, which is everybody's dream. It really is. And and if listeners think she's being sarcastic, (laughs) she's not. No, that's true. That's actually real. That is a dream of mine main female character is a scholar and one of the things that the website says is, is she's confronted with this notion of scholarly fame yeah. what is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
that's when you publish your thesis. Did you make that up? No, no. Did you invent that? Sir, that's not a thing. That's is a it? thing. That's. Doing well. How are you? Doing good. Thanks. So you are uh, really, really far away. Couldn't make it in because of distance reasons, right? Uh, yes, the distance of approximately forty-five blocks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I'll put it out there to our listeners. Uh, we had a huge, uh, we had a huge snowstorm here in Ottawa uh, overnight. But I asked Madeline; it had nothing to do with the snow. So she assured me that it wasn't just because it snowed. No, no, I'm Canadian. The snow doesn't stop. Yeah, you're, so you're, you're, you're from Vancouver Island. Knock it off. You can't. You you can't talk about how you you're okay with snow if you're from Vancouver Island. Give me a break. <laughs> okay. Well, you've been here in Ottawa long enough to understand what kind of snow we get here. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, you know what? If you're gonna say that you know you're you're integrated into Ontario Quebec weather, you have to be okay with thunderstorms. Yeah, well, see, that's where I fall short. <laughs> <laughs> Go back in the car and never left right. You know, started up right away to drive back. It was always uh, had a few minutes to try to uh, recollect your emotions. <laughs> at least, at least for me, those ones stand out as the worst. Anything particularly funny, I. I think the funniest story, funniest story. <laughs> There's the non-sequitur. That's right the there. worst transition ever. It was a bad uh, But I'm not the producer. So. Hey, every time I get a call from the producer, well, first of all, it's a moment of dread because I have to deal with him. Uh, you hang up. Like, you hang up on the producer and wait for the producer hang to call you back. Well, yeah, but every yeah. time he calls, I get nervous because then I'm just like, oh, I have to talk to this guy. So, But, you know, it's worth it in the end. Yeah, I mean, you get over that hump. And yeah, exactly. That's the worst part of the experience. Yeah, what, when she once I get over talking to him, I'm good. Yeah, so we, we appreciate you dealing with that. I Hey, anytime. If you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. If you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. If you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. So those are our favorite moments from the past five years. Thanks everyone for listening, whether through iTunes, which is now apparently is Apple Podcast or something, and uh, or through the YouTube channel or through the site. And in the next hundred, we're going to expand. Once we get the RSS feed fixed, we're going to go to Stitcher and, and all the other places where you can find podcasts. So thank you all for listening. This has been a lot of fun. Even if no one listened, I had fun. I hope listeners have enjoyed it. As always, if you have any comments or questions for the podcast, it's historyslam at gmail.com, Twitter at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And if you're out, you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.